Just making sure everybody's awake there. If you would grab a Bible, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. That is where we'll be centering this part of our worship where we study from the Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. It is good to see you this morning. We have a great crowd here. We have a number of people who are visiting with us, and we are just so thankful for that. Uh, It has been such a blessing uh, for us to be able to see more and more of our people who have not been able to get out, now able to get out, uh, and to see those who are visiting with us, who have taken time to be here. Uh, I've had several people, we have a family visiting with us this morning, Uh, several people have mentioned to me how during the pandemic they followed along with our live stream and watched our lessons, and now some of them are able to be here in person. We have some visitors here uh, who have sort of gotten to know our group, and uh, I just want to say that's a tremendous encouragement and a tremendous blessing to us to be able to know that even from something as awful as what we've been through over the last year plus, uh, that the Lord has been using that to expand and to increase the work that we're able to do and to help us to know other brethren that maybe we didn't know before. So that's just an encouragement to us. Thank you for being here. For those who are are following along and watching us, even though you're not present in this building, we want you to know that you are an encouragement to us too. Uh, But it's just a great morning to be here. Appreciate the work that's been done to prepare us and to help us to worship this morning. And I hope I can add my part to that. We're going to begin by reading in Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The Hebrew writer takes us to the ancient stadium. It's time for a race. And so we are in a great amphitheater, and the stands are packed, and everyone is here to watch us run. There is, in the words of the Hebrew writer in verse 1, so great a cloud of witnesses, a huge assembly of people who are great in number and great in character, But what is a witness? Usually when we use the word witness in English, we have the idea of someone who is there to watch something, to see something. And so we'll talk about that in a court case. We'll say there are witnesses. Or sometimes at a a wedding, we'll say there are witnesses here. And they will watch this and then say something about, yes, this is what I saw. But here, witnesses, and in the Bible, the word witness often has more than just a watching element to it. It has a testimony element. These are men and women who have something to say. And I want us to think about that for a few minutes this morning. There are people around us watching us who are the great heroes of faith. They are a great cloud of witnesses. And they don't just watch us in some sort of intimidating way. Better not mess up. Abraham's watching. But instead in an encouraging way. Let me tell you what men and women of faith do in situations like the one you and I are in. The letter to the Hebrews is written to a group of Christians who for one reason or another are contemplating leaving behind their faith. In some ways, it seems as though they're getting discouraged and tired. There is the possibility of persecution. It seems to me that there would be quite a challenge in moving from a system where you worship God by things you see, like a temple and priests, 
and sacrifices and moving from that to things you can't see. Like Jesus, who has already lived and died and ascended to heaven. His sacrifice has been offered and now you worship a God you don't see at all in ways you can't really point to. All of those challenges add up for the Hebrews to the idea that maybe we're just, maybe we just need to leave this off. Maybe it's just not worth it. And so what the Hebrew writer does in this text is to say, all of the great men and women of faith throughout history, everyone you admire, they know what you're going through. They have been through it themselves, and they are here to give their testimony and encourage you as you run the race. So for you and me, I think we relate in some ways to that. We get tired, and we get discouraged, and we get scared. And so we begin to doubt and struggle and worry. And I want us to see how these examples can help us. What these witnesses say, in a word, is that we know what it's like. We know what you're going through, and we want to encourage you by telling you what men and women of faith do when things are hard. So what we're going to do for a few minutes this morning is to look through some of these witnesses who are found in chapter 11 of Hebrews. And we're not going to go through the whole chapter, but we'll look at some of the main currents of thought that go through this chapter. So turn back a page to Hebrews 11. And I want us to say first that this cloud of witnesses says, we know what it's like to see the unseen. How do faithful people view things that they don't see in the moment? Hebrews chapter 11, let's read in verse 7. Hebrews 11 and verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So in this great crowd, I put a picture of a stadium up here, just like the ancient amphitheater, people watching. In the great crowd, here is Noah. He is here to testify. What does he say? Noah speaks of the time when God called him to build an ark because he was going to flood the world with water. And Noah had never seen anything like that. Water coming out of the sky was a novel idea. Events as yet unseen. I wonder what Noah thought about that. I wonder if Noah said, oh, that sounds great. I wonder if he thought the way we would think if, you know, something like fire came down from heaven. That would be terrifying. But surely that's not really going to happen. And so Noah, he didn't just say, you know, that's interesting. I think I'll believe that. Instead, he built a massive boat. And it took him, if I read the story correctly, it took him years to do that. Do you ever think about what it was like for Noah in those years? Where he's building a boat? And you know, after a little while, it gets so big that people are going to start noticing the boat. What do you think he told Mrs. Noah? When he says, I'm going to go work on the boat again. What do you think he told his kids? What do you think he told his neighbors? How long did he have to wait for God's word to come true? Events as yet unseen. Noah, he says, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. And so when Noah is in the crowd, he says, I know what it's like to wait for things you've never seen before. Just trusting, just holding on to the words of God. Verse 8. Hebrews 11 and verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So here's Abraham. It's one thing to say, go west, young man. God says, go. There's a place you can have. And I'll tell you where it is later. I'll tell you later. Okay, that's not a good way to start a trip, is it? 
I'll tell you where you're going later. And yet he goes out not knowing where he's going. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So a city that has foundations, he is not talking here about a physical city, at least not one that you could locate on a map. Abraham had never seen this city. Abraham had never been there. In fact, I'm not sure he even had revelation about the fact that it existed. What the Hebrew writer is saying is Abraham was confident that God had blessings for him that he couldn't articulate, things that were beyond what he had ever experienced. And I know Abraham had doubts about that because Abraham had doubts about a lot of what God promised, specifically the child promise. He kept expressing those doubts. And yet Abraham obeyed because he sought something he had never seen. Look down at verse 20, Hebrews 11 and verse 20. It says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Remember, Joseph thought he had blessed the wrong one, and so he tried to switch his hands. But no, Jacob said, I've got it right. Verse 22, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. See, seeing the unseen is also about the future. These men are facing their own deaths. And yet as they face death, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph all look to the future. They look to what their families are going to become and their kids are going to become. They look at what God's going to do with the children of Israel. And they make instructions and promises based on their faith in what they have never seen. The future, which for all of us is as yet unseen. Verse 27. Verse 27, by faith, this is Moses, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So Moses leaves Egypt and he goes out into the desert. And the text specifically says that he was not afraid of the king, even though in Exodus it says he was afraid of the king and left. I think what this is saying is that Moses was able to put aside his fear of the king and say, I'm going to go out. And that whole mission that he had in mind of how to save God's people, I'm going to leave that off for a while. God will provide a new way. By faith, he says, he pursued seeing him who is invisible. Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. God's people see the unseen. They come to the edge of the Red Sea. And when God parts the sea, they walk through. Do you realize how much courage that would have taken to walk through? I mean, you don't know how long that thing is going to stay divided. In fact, it doesn't stay divided much longer than after they get through it. Do you know how much faith it would take to walk around the city of Jericho over and over again? To not say to Joshua, uh, what is the plan exactly? Over and over again, God's people pursue by seeing things that have never been seen or known. Put all those people together. They're in the crowd. Here they are to give their testimony. What do they say? They say that God's people are never sure of what's going to happen next. They never follow God because everything is laid out clearly before them. They always follow by faith. That there are things that I can't diagram and explain clearly, but I just trust God. And so I follow even though I don't see. So as you run your race and you say, I don't understand. I don't know how God can make this work into something good. 
I don't know how God could fulfill his promises. Just picture that all around you are a host of people who are saying, yeah, I know. I didn't know how God was going to make water come down from the sky and how this boat was going to save us all. And they say, yeah, I know. I didn't know where I was going when I left my home. Yeah, I know. I didn't know how God was going to save the people from Egypt. I didn't know how God was going to make those walls come down. I didn't know how we were going to get through that Red Sea. I didn't know. But people of faith don't quit because they don't know. They see beyond what they see to the unseen. That's what people of faith do. So, when our world pressures us to say that the only important things in life are the things that we see. In fact, the world would say that the only things that are real are the things that we see. We are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who tell us emphatically, you can't always see it, but it doesn't mean it's not real. These are the people who encourage us. Second, these witnesses say, we know what it's like to be hated for our faith. Look in Hebrews 11 and verse 4. Hebrews 11 and verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So Abel offers his sacrifice and pleases God, but that only makes him a target for Cain. An evil, angry, jealous man lashes out at a good man, for doing good. What did Abel do wrong? What did Abel deserve? And yet, Abel, though he died, still speaks. What does he say? What does Abel say, even today? He says, You may be hated for your faith, but it's still worth it. If you please God. And that message calls out from beyond the grave. Look in verse 24 of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 and verse 24. It says, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So Moses leaves the pleasures of the palace to live like a slave. I would rather be with the people of God who were slaves in Egypt than to be in the palace. In fact, Moses not only becomes a slave, he is hated by his fellow slaves. Over and over again, they reject him. They complain about him. They try to stone him. They try to go back to Egypt. They try to get a new leader. Over and over again, Moses is rejected. He is rejected by Egypt. He is rejected by Israel. And yet this text says that he chose it. Verse 25, it says, Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And then verse 26, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. The reproach of Christ. That's a fascinating phrase. Remember, Moses is about 1,500 years upwind of Jesus. And yet it's the same reproach that Jesus is going to endure when he is crucified and rejected. And then that Christ's people will endure throughout the centuries down to today. The reproach of Christ is the suffering and the rejection, the being hated for our faith that has always accompanied following God from the very beginning to today. 
And this cloud of witnesses says, yeah, we know that sometimes people will lash out at people of faith. It has always been this way. And then there are others in the crowd. In verse 36, Hebrews 11 and verse 36, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These people are unnamed. Because if we had a list of names, we wouldn't know who they were. They're not people who are big, important people. They are insignificant in the world's eyes. They are just others. They are regular people who suffered and struggled and were persecuted and killed. They are mocked and flogged and jailed and stoned and sawn and cut in pieces. They are homeless. They don't have normal clothes. And they are living in the dark places. The world despised them. And specifically, he says in verse 38, that the world was not worthy of them. Now, those people are watching us. They're in the crowd. What do you think they have to say to us? They say, we know what it's like. So when we say, I don't know why people are so ugly to Christians. Or why do people seem to cater to all the other groups but not to us? Or we say, you know, I feel targeted for my faith. They say to us, yeah, I know. I've been there. And when we complain about the small slights we experience because people don't revere our faith, these people say, I know what it is to suffer for my faith. Abel's blood cries out to us. He says, yes, I've been there. And Moses says, yes, I suffered, I know. And these others say, it may get worse. So we say, I'm afraid our country is changing. And we may be persecuted in the future. These people will say, yeah, I know. And then they say, keep going. It's worth it. No matter what you go through. And please understand, those are not the words of a pampered preacher like me. These are the words of people who have saw marks on their bodies. These are the words of people who have the, the scars of the chains on their hands. These are the people who live homeless, desperate lives until death finally takes them. And they say, I know what it is to be hated for your faith. Don't quit. It's worth it. It seems to me that we often think about persecution from a government view. You know, we live in a nation where we are blessed to have some kind of voice in the government, although you always wonder how much we actually have. But that's a blessing that ancient peoples didn't have. Ancient peoples live with the reality that there are people making decisions and we have no impact over them. We are subject to them and at any moment, at any whim, they could decide that our lives are over. They might be called on to pay the ultimate price. And it seems to me that our time and our spiritual energy, energy would be better spent, better spent preparing ourselves for the ultimate reality that we will be hated for our faith than worrying so much about when and how that might happen. Are we ready for that? 
Do we hear the witness of these men and women who have suffered for their faith? Will we quit when things are hard? Or will we listen to these witnesses? The third thing they say, we know what it's like to make hard choices. In Hebrews 11 and verse 17, Hebrews eleven seventeen, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So we read about the testing of Abraham. And it says specifically in verse 17, when he was tested, that God gave him a test. God told him to offer up his only son, the one he had spent years waiting for. Verse 19 says, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive it back. Here's what I want you to see. Abraham thought it through. He was between a rock and a very hard place. Either you disobey God or you kill your son. But he thought it through. And he decided that if God could give him a kid when he was past the age, then God could bring that kid back from the dead. And so he reasoned from faith. And he acted out of tremendous confidence in God. And by that faith, he chose well. He made a hard choice and chose to obey God and trust him, even though it was an impossible decision. Down in verse 25, Hebrews 11 and verse 25, speaking of Moses, it says, Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses had a hard choice. Do I stay where I am and where I'm comfortable? Do I stay maybe where I have influence with these people and use my position and leverage it into some blessing for others? Or do I go down several pegs to help the people who are slaves? Do I become a slave to help them? Do I give up my money and my status? It's a hard choice. And yet, he chose it. I don't want to belabor this. We have to make hard choices. You know what your hard choices are. Best way to serve Jesus today, best way to handle your kids, best way to approach someone who's living in sin, best way to deal with someone who confesses or exposes some sin in their lives to you, best way to show your influence to those around you. We have all those decisions. They are challenging. And there are times where we we hear one side and we hear the other and we say, well, they both sound like they've got some merit and I don't know what to do. But what I want us to see is that sometimes the actual decision to keep following God is hard. That's what these men found. It's hard because it will require some sacrifice of some kind. Maybe we realize something important needs to change or we've got to eliminate something that's really close to us. It's going to be really hard to work through like a job or some relationship in our family. Or there's trouble in our home or in our church. There are hard talks to be had and hard steps to be taken. And here in the crowd, there are witnesses who say, I know it's hard. I know what it's like to feel like you don't know which way to go. But if you act from faith, it will be worth it. 
We know what it's like. The last thing I want us to see is we know what it's like to die in faith. We talked about Abel already. Abel died before his time. His life was tragically cut short, and yet, though he is dead, he still speaks. Look down in Hebrews 11 and verse 13. Look at verse 13. It says, These all, speaking in context of Abraham's family, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So dying in faith is the idea of dying without seeing the fulfillment of your faith. That's what it means when he says in verse 13, these all died in faith. That is, they died not having their hands on the promise, but having only a promise. So Abraham died without ever seeing his family become like the sand of the seashore. Abraham died without seeing this land be in his family, the land God had promised. Now, I understand in some of that, God gave him a sense of the timetable. He knew that God was going to let things happen and they're going to go down to a foreign land and all of that. But I'm not sure that made it any easier to believe or to swallow. When you are facing death and you have been basing your whole life around these promises and you know these promises are going to go on far beyond me, I will die without seeing them fulfill. So, don't you think that was hard in those last few years for Abraham? Death feels like an end. So what does it mean if we only die in hope of things that we've never seen? Things that we've only believed in. Look down in verse 37. Hebrews 11 verse 37. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So many of these people died without seeing the promises fulfilled. You know, we kind of have this problem. Have you noticed that when we talk about the Bible stories, we focus on the really good ones? When we talk about God delivering and we talk about people who had faith, we think of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and how God saved them out of the fiery furnace. And we think about Daniel and the lion's den and how God saved him. And we talk about David and how God saved him from Saul over and over and over again. But, you know, we don't talk a lot about the other stories. Like John the Baptist, who is a faithful preacher of the gospel, tremendous humility. He is arrested and beheaded. The end. We don't talk much about Jonathan, great man of God, who dies alongside his father and is not allowed to live out whatever destiny God might have had for him. We don't talk a lot about Naboth who is simply a victim of a tremendously corrupt King Ahab and his wife. We don't talk about those stories. Those are men and women who die without receiving some great deliverance, some great blessing. And as a preacher, I wonder how I would preach their funerals. 
What do you say about those men and women? Sometimes God doesn't save. And that's okay. Verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So God's not done with them. Their story is not over just because they died in faith. There are chapters yet to be written. And the Hebrew writer says, we are right there with them. In fact, it's possible that you and I will die in faith. In fact, it seems to me that the Bible's tenor is that we should expect to die in faith. Unless Jesus returns and some of these things that are unseen become seen before that time comes. So here, as we run our race, sometimes we wonder, you know, I haven't had all my hopes and dreams fulfilled. Jesus hasn't come back. world is not a much better place than when I got here. And as I get older and I approach death, I begin to say, well, I wonder, wonder if any of this was true at all. How do I have faith in something I've never seen as death approaches? Or maybe we wonder, you know, if I die of a disease or I die as a result of someone else's evil or accident, why didn't God stop it? Why didn't God save me? And I want us to hear the chorus of witnesses that say, I know how you feel. I waited, and I wanted so bad to see what God had promised, and I am still waiting for the fullness of what God has promised. Jesus says, centuries after Abraham's death, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad, because Abraham finally got to see some small part of the fulfillment of what God had promised him so many centuries earlier. Brothers and sisters, we may die in faith. We would be just like all those great heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. And they are here to say, it's worth it. They are here to give their testimony and say, don't quit. The point is, if we die in faith, that doesn't mean faith is worthless. That means we're just still waiting on God. Now, Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, where we began. As we think about this cloud of witnesses, I want you to hear again these words. Hebrews 12 and verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So here we are running the race that is set before us, set before us by God. And all around us are these witnesses who are there to encourage us. And as we run, we say, I just feel so tired. And here is Elijah who says, I know, I know how you feel. And we call out and we say, sometimes people hate me. And here's the voice of Jeremiah saying, man, I know. And we say, Sometimes it's just so hard. And there is a chorus of voices, one after another, that say, I know. I know how that feels. 
And so we turn away from all our complaining and we turn to the race that is set before us. What does God call on us to do? And so verse 1 says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. In the ancient world, runners would shed their clothes to run. They didn't want anything to get in the way. No encumbrances, no hindrances. And if you've ever watched races, especially I'm thinking of marathons because you guys know I'm a marathoner. But when you watch the last miles, you'll sometimes see guys who will, who will throw down a water bottle, take their shirt off and just throw. I'm thinking, those things cost money. They don't care. The only thing that matters is getting to the finish line and fast. And so they throw away anything that might in the smallest way weight them down. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Don't let anything keep you from finishing the race. Whatever you have to get up, give up, whatever you have to lay aside, it's worth it. So don't let people's opinions about you or the fatigue that you're feeling, or the currents of our culture slow you down. Don't let sin slow you down. Get those things out of your way and determine, I will not quit. He says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Sometimes in an amphitheater like this, they would have the great runners of the past to sit in places of honor, places where the runners could see them as they ran. And so a runner looks up, and what does he see but the champion? And so he says in verse 2, we look to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. Because Jesus has shown us what it is to run the race well. Because just like we have a race set before us, it says he had joy set before him. But before the joy was the pain. And he endured the cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand. He has won the prize. And now he says, keep going. If anyone is a tremendous witness for what it means to keep going when things get hard, it's Jesus. And as Jesus' disciples, that's what we learn. That's why we're here. Because Jesus never quit. And so people of faith don't quit. You and I are people of faith. So don't quit. I just want to say, if you ever feel out of step with the people around you, and you feel like the world just doesn't get you, and you feel like the things you hear, just, they just don't make sense to you. Just know that you are in step with a great cloud of witnesses. Men and women of faith throughout the centuries. Our brother has led us in a tremendous number of songs where we sung about the faith of our fathers. That's not just the faith of our physical fathers, but our forebears, those who have gone before us in the faith. Those in the Old and New Testaments, those who have lived in the centuries between the time of Jesus and today, who show us this is what being a person of faith is. Those are the people whose voices we need to hear 
when we begin to doubt and struggle. The question I have for you is, what's getting in the way of your race? What is there that you may need to jettison and throw away and be done with? What habits, what people, what character deficiencies? Don't let anything keep you from finishing the race. Let's run with endurance. And if there's something that you have that you need to get rid of, that you would like our help with, or if you're ready for the first time to begin that race and to follow Jesus, to be baptized into Christ, we'd love nothing more than to help you. Please come as we stand and sing to encourage you.